welcome to the second annual Health and Human Rights Summit here in Tucson, Arizona. My name is Drew Heaton and I am the director for Humans for Humanity Coalition. Our mission is to awaken individuals to the health and human rights crisis of our day. We promote, preserve, and protect traditional ethics, objective scientific research, and informed medical consent. We believe in the ethical treatment of human beings and in the abolition of human exploitation. Through coordinated volunteerism, personal religious practice, and personal spiritual refinement, we educate citizens and political leaders regarding the ethical questions that influence government policy. And we financially support through fundraising those organizations which share our values. We support the values of compassion over criticism, forgiveness over condemnation, autonomy over subjection, consent over coercion, and data over dogma. If you're wondering what coordinated volunteerism is or looks like, this summit is the perfect example. United in the desire to preserve liberty for ourselves, our children, and future generations, many individuals donated their time, talents, and resources on their own initiative. No one in our organization receives compensation for their service. The monumental effort so many individuals provided to bring this event to fruition is a miracle. Well, good morning and thank you, Ida. It's wonderful to be here again. I guess I was at the last event just before Arizona closed down. So it was kind of the last, last opportunity to be together at uh, Trollistown. But I have an update on the Oath of Hippocrates and medical ethics, and a lot has happened um, to make this even more pertinent than it was then. Okay, this is a little bit about me in case you want to get a copy of the PowerPoint. I gave one to, to Ida. To start with a disclaimer, nothing in this presentation is meant to be medical advice. And to tell you this, words of wisdom I got from my dad, I don't pretend to know the answers, but I am beginning to figure out the questions. And there are certainly a lot of questions about what is going on now. It's a little bit of a bibliography that, in case you want to, to look up some things, Jeremy brought some of these little covers for the booklet that we have put out. He estimates that maybe half a million people, at least, have seen this as some information about how to protect yourself in these days of COVID, and you can download it free from the APS website. Also, I mentioned the Doctors for Disaster Preparedness website, partly because we are having a meeting in Tucson, July 31st to August 1st. Patrick Wood will be our banquet speaker, and we hope that some of you will, will come. The program will be at ddponline.org. The Oath of Hippocrates says very clearly, I will prescribe regimen for the good of my patients. My patients, everyone in the my patients, not society, not the planet, but the patients who have entrusted their care to me, according to my ability and my judgment. I mean, I'm supposed to be a professional. I'm using my judgment, not Dr. Zeke Emanuel's, not Dr. Anthony Fauci's, not Dr. Jill Biden, not the, the NIH, not anybody's, but I'm responsible for it. I could be wrong, but I can only harm as many people as I'm able to see, not the whole country. 
and never do harm to anyone. And this has been obliterated from a lot of these oaths that people take for medical school now. And the good of society has been placed above the good of the patient. I think we're returning to the old pagan days of human sacrifice. No longer sacrifice to Moloch, but to the, who, the party, whoever is governing us, who is, pre, who is playing God. You know us to be worried about doctors playing God? Well, well, the government's playing God now. That's even worse. Instead of Hippocratic ethics, we now have bioethics, which was created by Congress. It was a 1978-79 report. And it redefines common good as being the greatest good for the greatest number, the utilitarian con uh, concept, instead of those goods that all human beings have in common and that we all need, including friendship, by the way, which is really one of the ones that's suffering the most right now. And it, bioethics, there are all these lectures about lifeboat ethics. Who are we going to throw overboard? We have a zero-sum game, only so much resources, so who is going to be left behind? And who is the chief of bioethics at the NIH? Well, Dr. Christine Grady, who is also Mrs. Anthony Fauci. The NIH has been involved in a lot of ethically somewhat questionable things. It purchases fresh tissue from late-term abortions and transplant them into mice so we can do research on, on, on humanized mice. And they have said specifically that the goal of vaccination is to benefit the community at large rather than the individual. And I think a lot of doctors do follow this. Like if you say, well, I, I think I, my child doesn't really need to be vaccinated against measles. I'm sure he'll sur survive it just fine. Anyway, there hasn't been any measles. Nobody's died of it since 2015. But the doctor will say, yes, but there might be some measles, and your child might get it and might transmit it to some poor vulnerable child who couldn't get vaccinated. And besides, we might lose our status as being measles-free in the United States. So for the good of us all, no matter what the risk is, your child has to get vaccinated. And when they say the benefits greatly outweigh the risks, they are talking about the benefits to the society as they see it, not the benefit to the individual. And of course, they don't even know what the risk is to the individual, especially for young people today, the benefit of the COVID so-called vaccines is virtually zero. And the benefits we're just beginning to find, the risk we're just beginning to learn about. Like one that's been a lot in the news is bleeding problems and clotting problems. There were many countries that like stopped using the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is kind of similar to the J&J &J vaccine that we have here, because people were getting blood clots in the veins that drain their brain, and some of them were dying of it. A 36-year-old Florida doctor died of similar problems from, I think, the Pfizer vaccine. Well, these have been reported to the only reporting aftermarket surveillance mechanism that we have in the US for vaccines, and that's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, full of flaws, but the best we have, maybe only 1% of reactions get reported to it, according to the only data we have from the Pilgrim Harvard study. Um, or maybe it's a greater percentage of the really serious things. We did have a 
a paper by Dr. Lee Merritt in our latest uh, Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons, which is listed here. And she did a search in the various database on about 19 keywords and found about 370 problems that were probably related to platelet functions. They might have been mild or they might have been severe. About 94 of them were, were severe. But then when she tried to update this after a couple months, just before publication, she found there were now more than 6,000 reports that popped up. And every day that they checked, there were more. The VERS database is very, very backlogged on entering data. It's difficult to do. It's time consuming to do. And they're still entering reports from February. That um, website there, uh, which I guess YouTube would not allow to, to be there, is an, uh, it talks, it has a couple of women who are, who were involved in entering data into VERS. One of them also worked on this Open VAERS website. Initially, she was interested in childhood vaccines, but now they have a red boxes page that, that uh, kind of gets you up to date on some things. Nearly 6,000 deaths and 652 miscarriages. And of course, the NIH is saying, well, those deaths are all just coincidental. You know, the more of them happen in the first two days uh, after vaccines than, than uh, later on. But anyway, they're coincidental. Are they trying to find out exactly what happened? Well, what you need to do to do that is you need to do an autopsy. The autopsy table is the altar of truth. We rarely take people there these days. It took us a long time to figure out why people were dying of even of COVID, because we were not doing autopsies. The WHO did not exactly forbid them. They just made them so difficult, unless we contaminate the autopsy suite, that they weren't being done the first set that I saw, about 12 came out of Hamburg, Germany, and they were finding these people were dying of blood clots. They couldn't oxygenate their blood because it was clotting on the way to the lungs. And this made a big difference in, in our ability to treat people with the disease. But we have to find out what's happening. We are not finding out what's happening in the people dying after the vaccine. Dr. Peter McCullough, who's one of our allies who helped a lot with, building, uh, with making this little booklet, used to be a fan of vaccines, but now he said, we're finally doing using children as experimental subjects, and we've got something like 2,300 children in this study. 60 to 80% of them got severely ill with something like a high fever after the vaccine, and we prevented 18 cases of the sniffles. Of a study of, in, by the People's Israeli, Israeli People's Committee, which is referenced up there, said never has a vaccine injured so many people. The number of deaths reported from COVID vaccines just in a few months are much greater than the total number of deaths reported for any vaccine since the VAERS was started, I think, a couple decades ago. The, probably the most notorious case of a pharmaceutical disaster was thalidomide, you know, the babies being born without limbs. The drug was released in 1957 safe for everybody, including pregnant women. Deformities first began to be noticed in 1961. There are probably a lot of less severe ones that were not noticed at all. One reason that we did find out about them sooner is that the obstetrician who had prescribed the drug to the mom delivered the baby. He noticed something, made a connection. You can bet that the person who sticks that needle in your arm is not 
going to be around to follow up what happens afterwards. That was, it took five years to take this drug off the market despite the severity of the problem. There has been speculation about infertility relating to this, and this is really per pertinent when there are about 20 million college students who are just entering their prime childbearing years that are being pressured to get this vaccine. One of the, th one of the points made is that, well, sensitin, which is a protein that's found in the placenta that's very important for nourishing the baby, is similar to the spike protein which these products cause your body to manufacture. And maybe your body will make antibodies to it. No, no, no. There's no evidence for this. Well, have they looked for the evidence? Well, the thing to do would have been to check for antibodies before and after the, in, after the injection was given. Has this been done? Nope. There are other reasons to worry about infertility, um, maybe some that we haven't thought of. We do know that there have been miscarriages in women who have had COVID, and the placentas have been examined, and they do have evidence that the spike protein from the infection was caused interfering with nourishing the baby. Have we checked placentas in the women who have miscarried after the vaccine? I haven't heard about it. There are early warning signs. You know, a lot of college students, we probably won't find out for years if they're infertile because a lot of them are trying to delay pregnancy. But look at infertility clinics. I saw one report that came, still came across on Twitter. The Facebook page for this group of 20,000 people had been shut down. But one infertility clinic said they had a, an, a donor who'd, who had had three successful pregnancies from her eggs before. And during her fourth donation, they, they got 30 embryos and every one of them died before four or five days. They also found that their sperm donors did not have viable sperm. I mean, how many reports like this do you need before you say, stop? I mean, where's Ralph Nader? You know, this car unsafe at any speed. There are a few accidents and you can't buy that car anymore. Well, what happened here? I guess these people are more expendable. Anyway, we do know that the spike protein affects both the testes and the ovaries. We don't, haven't done really good biodistribution studies of what happens with what's injected into you with the vaccine. There was one a study, a surrogate study. It did not use the messenger RNA in these vaccines. It used one that's, that, uh, that caused you to make luciferase protein. And this was done in male only, Sprague daily rats. And they found that the spike protein was or that this mRNA was getting into the testes, along with most other organs of the body, including the brain, meaning it crosses the lipo nanoparticles that in the mRNA gets across the blood-brain barrier, which even the, the um, SARS-2-CoV virus does not. And it just may be a coincidence that a lot of the complained of adverse effects are um, neurological in nature, you know, paralysis, strokes and so on. But we still have this vaccination frenzy. One of my email correspondents said, I was really concerned about getting the vaccine because I have so many allergies. So I asked my allergist immunologist about it, and she said, he told me, the government wants everyone to get vaccinated. So what is the, who is the doctor treating? Obviously not his patient. All these colleges, and then there are just people who say their friends and families won't speak to them or they got the vaccine only because they got tired of getting pestered 
by their girlfriend. There is, a, of course, a $33 billion public relations campaign to sell this free, wonderful, dazzling, amazing vaccine to everybody using all kinds of, of uh, psychological uh, advertising tactics. And the, the UK actually has an applied psychology team and is specifically using neuro-linguistic programming in every document that they put out. This is a hypnotic technique. It is, it is widely taught. Maybe it has helped a lot of people who had psychological problems, but it's specifically being used. And there is the thing there. Brian Garish is the journalist who, who founded this UK column uh, website, and he was giving an interview to Reiner Fulmich, who is the American-German attorney who is leading a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit, against governments for um, violating for crimes against humanity with these vaccines. I was caught, the neuro-linguistic programming caught my eye because one of the things that provoked the most rage about AAPS was when just on the news of the day I posted a link to some other website that was analyzing Barack Obama's um, oratorical technique. How dare you suggest that this politician might be hypnotizing us? But people are acting sort of as if they're mesmerized. They just seem to be utterly convinced about this vaccine. Well, then we have the Fauci emails. <laughs> and then there's the question of, did this virus escape from the Wuhan Institute of Virology? This was called, when it first came up, it was called a conspiracy theory by prominent virologists writing in The Lancet. The lead author was, uh, was Peter Daszak, who, who said that, well, we don't have any competing interests. It's just a conspiracy theory. That's what they called it in the journal. But, and, you know, Trump has said, well, now we've got proof that this did escape the virology lab. Well, not exactly proof, but he wants to ch the, the Chinese to pay $10 trillion. I guess all we have to do is send them a bill. But I think that kind of misses the main point, is what was the relationship of Fauci and the NIH to this. I mean, we, we were doing this kind of research in this country. It was banned here. We exported it to China, along with uh, Dr. Barrick at the University of North Carolina was instructing people on how to do the research, along with a lot of money. It was funded by the NIH, by the World Economic Forum, by the Gates Foundation, and by the Pentagon, and by DARPA, the Defense Advanced Projects Research research projects thing, by the Koch brothers, and it was possibly laundered through this EcoHealth Alliance with uh, Peter Daszak. Um, well, who funds gain-of-function research? I think a virologist would probably see, just kind of laugh at you. All virology research is gain-of-function research, or else it's loss of function. If you change what a virus does, well, then you're probably gaining its function. And did this particular virus leak from the lab or was it a deliberate? Um, maybe that's not altogether clear. But I think it's very, very suspicious. And I guess this isn't a later slide, but there are a lot of interesting quotations that have come out kind of in connection with this discussion. Uh, there's some on Twitter with a, a video of Bill Gates waving his arms around, gesticulating wildly, and saying, you're taking a genetically modified organism He's talking about a vaccine, or, or do we inject organisms too? 
and um, injecting it in little kids' arms, putting it right into their veins. Well, I mean, it gets into the circulation, but you put it into the muscle. But we have no choice. We cannot get back to normal until everybody on Earth is vaccinated. And then we have another TED Talk by Bill Gates some time ago that if we do a good job on vaccines, health, and reproduction, we can reduce the world population by 10 to 15%. Only a genocide can save the world. Well, now, if you kill a lot of people, you have a corpse disposal pro problem. But if you just cause them to be infertile, you can accomplish the same result. Uh, Chris Ford, he was the, for, uh, the, at the time, he was the acting undersecretary for arms control and national security. And he said about this Wuhan theory, we caution you against suggesting there is anything inherently suspicious about the People's Liberation Army contributing to research. I mean, that's the Chinese, the Chinese Communist Army. After all, the US Army has been doing this for decades. Then Anthony Fauci said to Rachel Maydell, all of this furor is really about attacking the science. That's whatever he says is the science. Then Tal Zaks, who was chief medical officer at Moderna, said, we're actually hacking the software of life. Um, and they described their vaccine as software or changing the operating system. Well, we have done 20 years of research. They say on vaccines, well, how do you do 20 years of research on a virus, a vaccine against a virus that supposedly doesn't exist? But they've been doing 20 years of research. Most doctors are unaware of this. I'm finally becoming aware of it myself, the genetic engineering that is going on. They are deliberately trying to alter your genes. And the way that we do genetic engineering is we often use a viral vector, like adenovirus the cold virus, and that's in the J&J &J and AstraZeneca vaccines. Um, it doesn't make you sick with a cold, but it does introduce this uh, software into your body. And there are a lot of experiments on trying to introduce signaling or surveillance things to influence behavior and thought and faith. Bill Gates looking for the God gene so that people re uh, react to anything about faith with loathing. And the, the thing that I think is the smoking gun for the SARS-CoV virus is in the spike protein, there is a, what's called a cleavage site, but there is a, a sequence of amino acids that have arginine in it. If you, well, the genet genetic code is the base pairs that are in the DNA and RNA, the, the CGTA. And the, each, there are three, three letters in the codon that specifies the amino acid that's supposed to go in the protein. There are only 20 amino acids that are generally found in proteins. There are a lot more combinations. So some of these three letter codes can, uh, they're kind of duplicates. And arginine has six three co letter codon specifying it. The, one of them is CGG, which almost never occurs in nature, but these virologists frequently use it. And it just so happens that SARS-CoV-2 and no other coronavirus has this code. Uh, the Chinese apparently have, have checked 50,000 animals and have not been able to find a spike protein like the one in the SARS-CoV virus. Is it released as a bioweapon or just as an accident? It's not a very effective bioweapon in the sense that it hasn't killed all that many people. 
But then there's the vaccine. Um, as doctors are trying to get on board with all of this technology, which is so marvelous, it sounds like science fiction, reminds me of one of my favorite poems by Goethe, Der Zauberlehring, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, and that's a medieval illustration of what this guy was doing. You're probably more familiar with Mickey Mouse in that role. Who was The master went away and left the uh, apprentice with some chores, and he was very lazy, so he conjured up some spirits to uh, fetch water for him and didn't know how to tell them to quit. So the whole place was getting flooded. Well, you know, the human genome is very, very complicated. We don't really understand how it works. There are all kinds of on and off switches. How do we, what do we do about the off switch? Once we, once we change our genome, it is irreversible. I wanted to tell you a little bit about this the concept of grooming. You've heard about this probably with respect to pedophiles, but a, um, a physician who is a student of German history told me his thoughts about this Gleiwitz-Zender incident. The sen a sender is a radio transmitter, and there was one in Gleiwitz just before a World War II broke out. The Nazis were about to invade Poland, and they wanted to make it seem as though the Poles were the aggressors. So they manufactured some false, false uh, flag events. Uh, there was somebody who took over or sent out a message in Poli Polish from the Gleiwitz transmitter. And so what the Germans needed to do was to get a bunch of corpses to show that the brave defenders of the radio station had repulsed this attack by Poles. Well, how to get the corpses. If you do look for this on Google, you will not find the story I'm going to tell you. It's buried in the German criminal medical annals back in the 1940s. There are varying um, stories about what happened, some from an affidavit at the Nuremberg trials. There have been a couple propaganda films, one by the Polish communists, one by the German communists. They gave a slightly different story. But the one we got from the medical annals is there were a lot of prisoners, and they were groomed in a sense. They frequently got injections of vitamins mixed with a little bit of methamphetamine and some morphine, and they came to believe that these injections were harmless. They actually made them feel a little bit better. So when they needed the corpses, the lethal injection they gave them was that same one with a couple things added, kind of like a binary chemical weapon, acetonitrile and acetone probably, that had a delayed response that created hydrogen cyanide. So you get these prisoners to do a couple things, maybe put on some police uniforms, maybe get into a truck, and then you had your corpses piled up that you could, you know, fire a few gunshot wounds into them and pretend that they had attacked your transmitter. But what we see here is that the physicians were complicit in all of these atrocities. And they had substituted the Hippocratic ethic with the idea that they were supposed to serve society. Karl Brandt, who was Hitler's physician, proclaimed his innocence, even from the gallows, he was completely unrepentant. He said, I just served the fatherland. He's doing research for the good of society, for the good of the fatherland. So just remember the concept of grooming. Pe people all do believe the patients, the physicians, everybody seems to believe that these 70 doses that we give children are harmless. Well, most of the time, we get away with them. 
And we're just sort of used to thinking as vaccines as a benign thing. But we don't know what's in those injections. And they are not true vaccines. Actually, the Chinese are, are vaccinating 20 million people a day, and they are using vaccines, which are attenuated viruses. But what we are using is a bioengineered, a genetically engineered product that Bill Gates describes that turns you into a vaccine factory. Well, as a consequence of the Nazi atrocities, there were the Nuremberg trials, and there were the Nuremberg Code that said it is vital that if you're doing human research, you must have the voluntary consent of the subject who is capable of giving consent. You know all these 12-year-olds who are giving their own consent for vaccines? They're capable. And then during the course of the experiment, you must be prepared to stop it if it turns out to be harmful. Well, the excuse that we have now is that, well, these are, this is not experimental. We've already experimented on, on you know, 40,000 people. What we're doing to people now is no longer an experiment. It's not been officially approved, but just wait. We're going to skip all kinds of steps and have warp approval along with the warp speed development. So I think what we have here is basically a moral problem. It's an ethical problem. And it, the medical profession is deeply in it. And people have just been, by all kinds of psychological manipulations, have been, have been by fear, by guilt, been called upon to accept it. We have a really terrible problem. We could have a massive depopulation as a result, a massive change in our people. And we really need to do everything we can to expose what's going on. Thank you.